This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Well, it is time now for our monthly check-in with our friend and elections guru, Kevin Jones. He is leader of Indivisible Vashon, and we're happy to welcome him. Hello, Kevin. How are you, man? I'm doing well, Stefan. You know, we're looking at a four-month-out election, a little more than four months, and uh, the, the, the weather is now getting to the point where uh, door knocking becomes an invitation to an outdoor adventure, plus being able to mobilize our friends to uh, get the right people in office. And great to be here to have a chance to talk about how that's going to work out. It's a little more enticing to go outside when you look up and you actually see some blue skies uh, for a change. So it's time to lace up the shoes and get canvassing. So we're going to be looking at the picture as it sits right now, both nationally and here in the state. So let's start with kind of a glimmer of good hope. So mathematically, it is my understanding that Democrats have somewhat improved their hand electorally. Can you talk about how? Well, it's through the uh, infamous gerrymandering process. And, uh, you know, Republicans had really um, put their energy into the gerrymandering so that they had a decisive advantage over Democrats. We've all heard that, you know, Democrats have to turn out more voters in order to get an equivalent number of seats. And that number is fairly stark if you take a look at it uh, back in history. Back in 2012, if on average, if half the voters voted for Democrat and half voted for Republican, so in other words, the the number of votes is tied across the country. What actually happens is Republicans would have gotten 56 seats out of 100 and Democrats only 44 seats out of 100. So an amazing gap. Uh, but now what's happening is Democrats are engaging in the getting, getting this more balanced. And so the good news is today, if you have that same situation averaged across the country, you know, half voted Democrat, half voted Republican. The Republicans only get 52 seats instead of 56. So they've whittled down the disadvantage by a factor of two thirds, which is a huge improvement in terms of yeah. Democratic advantage. So, um, you know, we, of course, need to do all of the other things, right, to be able to make sure we have great candidates, to make sure that people hear about them, support them, and help other people make sure they pull the lever uh, on voting day. But uh, the, uh, our, our Democratic friends are working to um, restore balance uh, to what was previously a pretty big distortion. Yeah, I mean, we know that the lift is going to be heavy this year because we are facing some pretty uh, historical headwinds. But uh, it is good to know that, uh, at least on the mathematical front, as you say, things are improving a little bit for the Democrats. So that's good news there. You know, we've been talking about and tracking uh, redistricting across the country and how that has been playing out, as you say. Um, One of the states that we've really been tracking is New York. What is the latest from there that you can tell us about? Yeah, New York, you know, they've come and gone. We uh, Early on, before New York even submitted their maps, it was how aggressive are the New York Democrats going to be? Uh, and they're looking at Oregon, where Oregon was pretty aggressive. And the New York team decided, well, we're going to throw in with that strategy as well. So they got taken to court. And some of those advances got reversed. And it's gone back and forth. But what we now know about New York is it is the number one state in the country right now for the number of close U.S. house races. And there are six close U.S. house races in New York. The previous 
title holder was Michigan, where there are four close U.S. House races. So um, New York is going to be very competitive when it comes to uh, holding onto the onto the House. Not so much the Senate or the governor or attorney general or secretary of state, but New York is going to be a big player in uh, in how the House uh, resolves on the 20, you know, during the midterms. We've also been tracking primaries and uh, we know that a number of states have completed their primaries at this point. So that means we know who the candidates are. What should we know about this? Which states have completed now? Which ones still have yet to happen? Well, let's start with the states that we are still waiting for the news. First of all, our own Washington state uh, in August primaries, but also Arizona and Michigan. And so um, our, you know, Previous listeners to the show know that Arizona is only like the second state, second only to Nevada, in terms of having a whole bunch of really close races. So we're going to be keeping uh, eyes open and letting folks know about what happens in our own Washington, but also Arizona and Michigan. So as as these primaries uh, wrap up, it removes any uncertainty about which Democratic candidate will advance to the general election in November. And that's important for us because the folks, the voters in those states, you know, we want them to pick, you know, which candidate should go forward through the primary process. But once they do, then we have that opportunity to give our full unvarnished support uh, to those progressive candidates who've done so. One of the things that you and I have talked about uh, over the course of our discussions together is this balance between the House and the Senate. And we know that it's going to be a very, very heavy lift uh, with the House. Uh, data is showing that the Senate is going to be marginally easier to hold than the House. So just remind us, which states are we focusing on for the Senate specifically? In the Senate, uh, the First of all, of course, Washington state is so important for us to make sure that uh, we support Patty Murray's reelection. Yes. But she's pretty safe. Um, so the other states that we really have uncertainty, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. Those are the states that are, if not razor thin, almost razor thin, hair width thin in those states, to be sure. And of course, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why the Senate is less impacted by everything that's going on nationally right now. Uh, there's no gerrymandering, right, to, to impact uh, the Senate. These are statewide races, right? Everybody gets to vote in, everybody in the state gets to vote for the Senate races, as opposed to the ability for those gerrymandered congressional districts to exclude certain voters or group certain voters to where their voice does not get heard as it should, as we think it should. So yes, the Senate does, it removes that uh, gerrymandering problem. And um, as long as we get the voters to get out there and, and vote for the, uh, the right candidate, we're in good shape. There is an asterisk there, of course, which is there is an awful lot of voter suppression that needs to be overcome. But that is a completely different discussion. That, that we is can, a different. Uh, yeah, that's a different discussion that we can have on a, on a separate occasion. But, you know, we probably don't even need to underscore this, but do talk a little bit about the importance of holding and maybe even improving our margins in the Senate. So, you know, it's you look at the different functions of the House and the Senate. And one thing that we know is that the Senate appoints federal judges. And as a matter of fact, the Biden administration has an amazing track record, even more aggressively than the previous administration 
at appointing federal judges. And the reason that is so critical in my mind is that we've seen in this last pre uh, last presidential election how so many issues got taken to the courts, mm -hmm. right? 62 lawsuits, 61 of them were lost that were claiming fraudulent votes because there were no fraudulent votes of substance. So it's so important that those judges that hear those cases are going to put Lady Liberty and law first and not party affiliation. And so that's what happens in the Senate. Uh, the House is important. The House does budgeting and they basically do more fiscal uh, work in terms of where the money goes, you know, our taxpayer dollars. Um, but I think when it comes to this topic of who do we want to manage our government, uh, the Senate's pretty critical in terms of making sure that that judiciary branch is strong, independent, and unbiased to the extent that it can be. To the extent that it can be. I was waiting for the yes. parenthetical. <laughs> I'm no legal scholar now, but, you know, there's a lot of subtext in, in what you just said. But the, the, You know, every, the, every topic has a little bit of, a, of an off-ramp because, you know, we're not clairvoyant. We can't see exactly what's going to happen. But we know what we want, and I think largely we know what's needed in order to get that outcome that we, we really want to strive for. And one of the things that we know we're really going to be focused on here, of course, in Washington is keeping Dr. Sh uh, Kim Schreier's seat in the 8th. So that is going to be a main focus for us here. Talk a little bit about you know, how indivisible groups in the state are helping out with this effort. Well, the indivisible group focused on CD8 primarily is the gr indivisible group formed in the first place, you know, to an elected Democrat to that seat. And so our good friend, Robin Gittleman, Indivisible Washington's 8th Congressional District, very actively engaging indivisible groups about how to find opportunities to make sure that Kim Schreier does hold her seat. And that includes canvassing and it includes phone banking. And there's quite a few opportunities to, to help retain that key person for our state. I live in the 8th. I am a member of Indivisible Washington's 8th District. Thank you, Chris Petzold, hey. for all you do, my friend. Um, so, yeah, we know that we're going to be attracting a lot of folks coming here to the 8th to, uh, to help out in that effort. You know, we're also looking at defending the legislature this year. I do not want to lose track of that. We have a number of Indivisible groups who are supporting legislative candidates. Who are some of those groups that you'd like to call out? Boy, we sure do. And I just really appreciate people who are stepping forward to get behind a candidate develop a relationship with the campaign and be able to give us the insight into how to find those volunteer opportunities. So we're talking about Olympia Indivisible, Indivisible Bainbridge, Bremerton, Gig Harbor, Tacoma, Bellingham are all stepping up to get behind a candidate in their district uh, to be able to make sure that we bring as many people in to help who are available to help and make sure that we spread the word about how people can get involved in those races. We have a good idea of what the LDs are that are going to be in play this year, the 10th, the 44th, the 42nd. Um, are there uh, LDs right now, in, to your mind, that do not have indivisible uh, support that could use it? Well, let, let me go through the list. Right now we have Olympia LD 22, uh, the 26th, which is the Port Orchard Bremerton area, the 28th, which is Tacoma, and the 42nd in Bellingham. And while there is news that the flip the 10th is back in business, 
because uh, I've heard it from at least two indivisible leaders. So far, um, they we haven't put those candidates into the system. And what I mean by into the system means that where you could find information about those candidates on the indivisible Vashon website, or you could find those candidates in the Take Action Network. But if those groups, uh, and they're certainly talking now, uh, if they decide that that would be helpful for their candidates, you know we're, we're more than happy to include them as well. Well, you heard him. So if you happen to live in the 10th LD, you can always get in touch over at IndivisibleVashon.org. What other state races are still on your radar at this point? Well, it's really those indivisible groups who are looking in their own communities about what candidates are really aligned with our values. But what we have is we have county commissioners, we have county auditors, we have uh, council members, Pierce County Council, for example. So we're not just restricted to Congress and the state legislature. If there's a really important race in your backyard, in your indivisible group says, hey, we're going to do the work to make sure we know how to discover those volunteer opportunities, share them with me and I'll do my best to share them with others so they can become discoverable opportunities for volunteers who want to help you out. And I will just say from my perspective that we have a very important race happening with the Secretary of State race. It is imperative that we keep uh, Steve Hobbs on the job. And so we are going to be covering that uh, more extensively here on the podcast. So as Rachel Maddow likes to say, watch this space. You know, uh, before we go, I just want to call something out. And that is, first and foremost, your your work here is is really tremendous. Uh, the, the work that you do both, you know, at the state level and also nationally, just tracking all of this data. And it's kind of making the rounds. Uh, and I, I, I thought, you know, since we haven't really discussed this up to this point, and we, you and I have done, I think this is maybe our sixth or seventh segment at this point, we haven't really talked about your process. So just unpack it, if you would. Just take a moment and unpack how you do this. Who and what you consult to, to get your, your information? Oh, yeah. Happy to share a little bit of that. Uh, great question. Um, so it, it depends on which races. Um, so, for example, um, this year with redistricting all the congressional districts have been redrawn and what that means is that we can't just go back to the last election for those candidates because the terms and conditions have changed so in those cases i look to the national pundits like cook political report inside elections 270 to win and sabato's crystal ball and what I do prior to our show is I'll go through and, and update my spreadsheet that basically pulls all four of those opinions in and averages them together. So it's sort of crowdsourcing to see where they stand on the House. On the Senate or governor races, Secretary of State, Attorney Generals, those are statewide races. So every voter gets to vote. Congressional district boundaries will not affect that statewide electorate. So in that case, I can look back at how the candidate in the seat did in their last election. And in that case, um, I go by the guidance that I've received talking to other folks who have looked historically at elections that says, um, if a candidate, an incumbent candidate won by more than 5%, that can be really challenging to turn that over. You might reduce that in the, you know, this year and shrink that margin in a year down the road, but you're probably looking at a few years you know, to really be able to flip that seat. So anything that's 5% win margin or less, 
particularly in the cases where we see those numbers are razor thin, like we have in the 26th, Emily Randall won by 104 or 108 votes. Very slender margin, yeah. Those are races that you know are going to be um, more competitive, even though that is an example of a, of a state you know, legislative race where the districts have been redrawn. Um, so for the state races, though, you can be really pretty pretty confident in looking at the um, the, the existing incumbents' uh, track record in the last election. So those are all the states that, uh, those are the races in the state that I tend to want to tee up and say, these are the ones that people should consider supporting. Yeah, the reason why I bring all this up is because your data, as I say, has been making the rounds. Um, it's even having an impact down in California, right? It, we have got some great feedback that uh, that, that is indeed true. And so um, the way that thread starts is that I still offer to indivisible groups, if they want to hear a little more about what I'm doing and see some of the numbers, let me know, because I'm more than happy to come out and, and give you guys, you know, give your group a briefing on what happens. So when I briefed the Wallingford Indivisible, uh, lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, I get an email that said that a person in the group had shared that our website, indivisiblevashon.org, with their friends in Southern California. And apparently the feedback was that a group in Fresno, indivisible group in Fresno, had been revitalized, was the word they used. And I think that the revitalization is that they maybe didn't see all of these opportunities to support, like in those five states with really close Senate races, where they could make a difference, where they could have an impact. And frankly, Stefan, that's kind of why I got into this in the first place. Because as you know, I live in a very blue district and I don't knock on doors on Bashan Island because I pretty much guaranteed that our Democratic candidates are gonna win their elections. Um, and so I can't make a big difference here in the outcome. But if I know where to knock on doors in other places, then I feel that I can make a bigger difference. And, uh, and I'm hoping people have that opportunity through the work that we're doing. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing. I'm glad that it is getting out there and having an impact as well it should. Uh, thanks as always, my friend, for joining. I look forward to the next opportunity. It's always a pleasure. And that'll do it for this week. If you would like to see a video of this or any of our programming, head to facebook.com slash indivisiblepodcast. The website for the show is indivisiblepodcast.org and the email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at indivisiblepod. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin and thanks as always to Lori Caldwell. My thanks as well to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.